Okay, good evening, everybody, and welcome to this Academy of Ideas Education Forum. My name's Shirley Laws, and I'll be chairing this, our second Zoom uh, discussion during lockdown. And it's great to have so many people signed in this evening. Um, our question before us, that I think is a fairly hot topic, is, is it time to reopen our schools? And this discussion was partly prompted by the social media outcry against an article published in the Daily Telegraph recently by one of our speakers, Joanna Williams. And so, and also really following that over the last couple of weeks, the issue has become central to the lifting lockdown debate. So we're delighted this evening to welcome Joanna here and to explain why she thinks it's time for schools to open again. Joanne is the director of the Freedom, Democracy and Victimhood Project at Civitas and founder of the think tank PM. And she is joined by David Perks, who's the founder and principal of the East London Science School. Um, David, who's completely in the thick of things at the moment, in fact always is, is going to tell us how he sees the quite substantial difficulties in getting schools back to normal or perhaps it's the new normal, as the saying goes now. Um, okay, so we'll follow our usual format, uh, which for those of you who, sorry, for the, those of you who are new to the forum, is that Joanna and David will speak in turn for around about five minutes, but I think Joanna wants possibly one minute or so more, but I will be strict at seven minutes, okay? because I think we want to bring the audience in. Um, so they'll speak in turn, and then I'll open the floor to our participants here, to you, the audience, this evening. Um, you'll notice that you've been put on mute, and that will stay the same. It will stay like that until you, you want to speak. Um, and it's really so that we can all hear individual contributions and there's no background noise. Um, so if you'd like to ask a question and or to make a contribution to the discussion, then you need to press the raise your hand icon and then I can ask you to speak as time goes by. And Harley Richardson, who's dealing with all the production uh, side of things, will unmute you. Uh, I'll we'll probably take five or six contributions and then go back to Joanna and Dave uh, for their comments and responses. And then I'll come out again three or four, hopefully probably as many as four times during the course of the discussion. And then finally coming back to Joanna and Dave to uh, make their final concluding remarks. Um, as there's so many of you signed in this evening, and I guess quite a number will want to speak, can I ask you to be fairly succinct in what you want to say? And, and a, a, a short question is fine. Joanna and Dave will... Um, respond to the things that they, they most feel, you know, they need to respond to, as it were, and they probably won't be able to respond to everything. Uh, but um, if we were going down the pub, we could pick up, but other, <laughs> unfortunately we're not tonight. But um, perhaps we can have that discussion that we don't get to a late, at a later date. Um, if you want to make a contribution, but really don't want to speak, there is a, a chat 
uh, line um, icon on the bottom of your screen so you can make your contribution through that. And if I get time during the course or there's anything that I think I can, um, I'll share. But if you don't want me to share with who you are, that's fine. Um, all right, so let's get going. Um, Joanna, would you like to start the ball rolling? Thank Excellent. You. Thanks, Shirley. And uh, great to see so many people. I, I just wish I could see you all in, in real life. Um, so my, my view, very bluntly, as I think the entire country knows what I think now in two sentences, I don't think schools should ever have closed in the first place. Uh, given that they are closed, I think they should look to reopen as soon as possible. And um, by reopen, just to clarify, I mean as normal and without social distancing in place. So that's my view very, very bluntly. I thought I'd just get that right out there at the beginning so that if the Wi-Fi cuts out, at least everybody knows what I think. Um, in reality, I think actually my view is a little bit more nuanced than that. I think there should be a presumption that schools are open, um, but I think there should also quite importantly be room for head teachers to make individual decisions about their own schools within the specific context in which they're operating. So for example, if you're running a small infant school in rural Lincoln, Lincolnshire, for example, um, you're going to be facing a very different set of issues than if you're running a large sixth form in the centre of London or Glasgow or Birmingham. And I think it's really important that head teachers are able to exercise that judgment. So I think it's important, though, that at this point, given where we are now today, I don't think the government can just say, just kind of shrug their shoulders and say, OK, schools, it's up to you. Head teachers, this is entirely on you. You make the decision. So that's why I'm choosing my words quite carefully here. I'm saying I think there should be a presumption that schools should be open. I think the government should say that schools should be open. The expectation should be that they're open but with room for individual flexibility. And I think that exercising of judgment by the head teacher is really important. I also think there needs to be judgment as far as individual teachers are concerned. Again, the risks faced by a young 20-something woman teaching in a junior school are very, very different to the risks um, faced by a man in his late 50s who's perhaps got some underlying health conditions and teaching in a secondary school. Um, Again, to perhaps be a bit more nuanced with the comments I'm making about social distance, um, I think clearly having reinforcing the message about hand washing, about using hand gel, things like that, I think are just just sensible. So that's that's what I would like to see happening. In reality, where are we now? Well, schools are close to all. I think the government um, had the assumption that up to 20% uh, of children at one point would still be attending the children of key workers and vulnerable children. In reality, I've heard various reports that there's between 1% and 2% of children. Uh, obviously, teachers are working incredibly hard to get lessons online, um, but it seems fair to say that there's huge variation um, with schools at one end of the spectrum running everything from registration at the normal time, Zoom lessons and giving children a full school day 
um, with very little difference apart from the fact that they're sat in the kitchen rather in, than in the classroom to with the other end of the spectrum children being given virtually no work sent home at all uh, it seems to me that some schools are most schools are in the middle somewhere along that spectrum at the same time we've got teachers uh, the teachers unions um, over 200,000 signatories to a petition and now Rebecca Long Bailey uh, shadow education secretary saying that schools shouldn't reopen until the science tells us it's safe for them to do so now my big problem is with that my problems with the teaching union leaders uh, the, the signatories to the petition and that particular stance that schools shouldn't reopen until the science tells us it's safe my reasons why i have a problem with this the science might never tell us that opening schools is 100% safe, coronavirus might be here to stay. So the question I'd raise is, do, the, do we then close schools permanently? Do we prepare to go over to a permanent online teaching? Um, point number two, safe might mean until a vaccine is developed. Um, the earliest estimations of this are between 12 to 18 months at very, very earliest. If so, I think the teaching unions need to be very honest and come out and say, we do not want schools to be reopened for at least another 18 months. And our expectation is that schools will be closed for 18 months. Third point is the reality is that much of the science around coronavirus is, is still unsettled. There's, there's not that much that we know with 100% certainty. We do not know what role children play in transmitting the virus. So we're taking a precautionary principle in keeping clo schools closed. And we need to be upfront about that. I think there are some things that we do know. We do know that children and younger adults generally are the least likely to catch coronavirus. They're the least likely to display symptoms. They're the least likely to get taken seriously ill. And they have a negligible chance of dying if they do catch coronavirus and do get taken seriously ill. Sadly, I think from my understanding, and I'm very, very happy to be contradicted in this, children especially stand far more chance of dying in a road traffic accident on the way to school than they would do from catching coronavirus at school. Um, if the, even if though, even if the science on coronavirus was completely settled, science cannot, never, never can tell us when school should reopen. Science can't answer that question. It's a moral, a political and a social decision. Science can inform our thinking, but it can't tell us when school should reopen. And I think to suggest otherwise really is a, a bit cowardly. It's hiding behind the science, looking for science to prevent us making this decision. Okay, so I'm think... going to have to stop you. <laughs> You've had your seven minutes at the moment, Jana, do, but do come back with the other points immediately afterwards, all right, in the discussion. Okay, Dave. Hi. Um, I, I think uh, Joanna's uh, brought forward some of the points I was going to look at in a different perspective, I think. Uh, um, where do I stand on the issue, just, uh, you know, in case the the line goes dead. Um, I think we should go back now because I think um, in terms of where the disease is, um, I think it's over uh, in terms of the threat it poses to pupils, uh, teachers uh, and everybody else. Uh, I think we're in a position now where we're in a kind of stalemate where nobody can see a way out of this uh, now we started it. However, that's not where we started off. So um, uh, 
I, I remember when, when uh, we shut the school, uh, we did it early. We didn't wait for the government. We were, we were one of the first to, to go. Uh, and uh, as a school in East London, with about 600 kids and about 100 staff, I had absolutely no choice but to shut. Okay, so I'm, you know, and 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 uh, and it's not about uh, me being a, a late 50s uh, adult with a few uh, health issues. Thank you, <laughs> which is true, and it hit me uh, quite badly personally, but it wiped out my entire senior leadership team, so that not one of us. Uh, ended up being able to function for three to four weeks. Uh, I've still got one member of staff whose breathing is uh, shot and, and is you know, hoping to find a way out of that. And, and in terms of the remainder of the staff, I would guess 60 to 70% of the staff went down, no matter what age. Uh, and in terms of who it hit hardest, actually one of my younger senior leadership colleagues was the only one who got hospitalised. Um, so I, I think it's very difficult for me to, to accept uh, the sort of bland assumptions that it doesn't hurt uh, younger people. It hurt all of us. Uh, when we shut, uh, you know, I had literally no choice but to close. I'd lost 20 staff the day before and 30 in the last day. Uh, was physically incapable of maintaining my own uh, uh, sort of uh, position as a leader and had to get the kids out of there. It was carnage. Right? So some, uh, some attempts to explain this are trying to say in, in a way that it's not really that serious. Well, if you lived in uh, East London where, where we are, it, it absolutely clobbered us. Uh, Newham is probably one of the worst boroughs in, in, in London, if not one of the worst places in, in the country for this. And uh, you know, there's all sorts of ways you can explain it. But, you know, it's quite a poor borough. People live cheek by jowl. It hits us. And it's not obviously just kids uh, and teachers in schools because it's their families. So, in you know, the, the worst aspect of it to me is not what happened to us or the kids. It's their families where they've lost people. Um, and that's, you know, not just one. It's several uh, families we've, we've had people uh, who've gone. So just number one point, in, and that is, it was a real disaster, uh, no, no question. However, the, the thing to me then, is not that we shut schools because I had no choice, uh, and I think um, say otherwise would be silly. Um, should we have shut all schools? Uh, you know, that's a, a point I would, I would sort of say, uh, that depends on how you're gonna approach de dealing with this, this, this crisis. Um, I don't particularly think it was a, too difficult a decision to make shut schools for a brief period as long as you know what you're doing in terms of ending this so if you say you know a brief period we shut down in order to uh, try and keep people safe uh, as much as we can which is a human thing to do to look after people then fine but in terms of uh, a protracted uh, sort of never-ending situation I actually agree very strongly with uh, Joanna in the sense that the, the idea that social distancing is something we can maintain and, and, and that is the uh, way that we should understand this, I think is a total disaster uh, and will cripple everything, uh, not just schools, unless we get rid of it. And I think, I think 
that the government, and I'm not blaming the government directly for the situation we're in, but the government know that and they're trying to get out of it and they can't. Uh, much the same as everybody else. And therefore, uh, what we need to do is have a really robust discussion about can we ditch social distancing uh, and get back to some kind of normality? Because if we don't, then I think the return from this is going to be worse than actually the lockdown that we've taken on board. We will not be able to run a school if we have social distancing. It just doesn't make sense on any level, any level. Um, and uh, as someone who's trying to plan the return uh, now, uh, I'm tearing my hair out you know, and, and trying to work out well, what on earth is it they're going to tell us we're supposed to do. Uh, and whatever it is, unless it's all come back, it's a disaster. Um, so just a couple of scenarios educationally. I mean, we've already lost One the minute, GCSE. Dave. Of really fast scenarios, right? Uh, we've already lost the GCSEs, which is horrendous for those kids, and we're dealing with that now. But it's the kids who have not done their GCSEs, the year 10s and 12s, if you like, and what they're facing. And my massive concern is how to explain this to them. If we don't bring them back properly, their GCSEs are done now anyway, and their exams are finished. And in fact, it might be the end of the entire examination system, it might not go this. Um, and so what we're dealing with is not just a, a kind of technical issue about, you know, how do we keep people safe? It's about the structure of education full stop. Unless we sort it out, it will, by default, be in a disastrous place. Um, OK. I'll leave it there. Then. All right. Yeah. If you can leave it there and, and both of you, I know you've got more to say and I obviously we'll be bringing you back to say that. Um, but what I mean, there seems to be a measure of agreement between the two of you there. Um, but on what basis? I mean, where would you see, Joanna? Where would you 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 find disagreement with Dave, or or do you think that that really he, he's he's facing up to problems and and that's. Yeah, yeah def definitely. No, I mean, I, I can't sit here and say hand on heart that I wouldn't have made the same decision um, as Dave made if I was in his situation and running that school. You know, it, it does genuinely sound like you had very little choice. I mean, I think where perhaps I'm not sure, but where perhaps the disagreement is, Dave, is that I, I actually think there's a huge difference between shutting down one school because of one particular set of circumstances for the minimum amount of time as is necessary compared to shutting down en masse all schools in the entire country. And I don't think that that distinction is just to do with the, the lack of a backup plan or, you know, I, I, to me, it's a very important kind of moral and social and political distinction. Because shutting down, when you shut down an individual school, the kind of national project, if you like, of education continues um, and your school has some catching up to do and the, the pupils at your school have some distance to make up when they return. But as a collective society, we've maintained education. We've maintained the project of bringing children into a school. We've maintained responsibility for them and we've continued to educate them. So, I mean, one thing that people said to me a lot in response to the Telegraph article that I wrote is, uh, you know, I'm catastrophizing. Uh, children often get sick. I mean, I think probably less so nowadays, but certainly when I was a kid, you know, I had, had every illness going and missed huge amounts of time um, off school. 
called. And, uh, you know, I might say it didn't do me, me any harm. A lot of people might disagree with me on that. Um, but I think the difference is, you know, when I was off school with scarlet fever or chickenpox or whatever it was, I was aware that my peers were continuing, my classmates were carrying on. When I came back, there was a kind of objective ground for me to make up. When we close schools entirely, what we're saying to children is that actually knowing about the 18th century in history, you know, knowing about the structure of a cell in biology, knowing about, I don't know, whatever it might be in physics, these things are just not important. It doesn't matter that you've missed those things, you know, and then as Dave points out, it then leaves the uh, open the issue of exams and there's already I noticed been lots of talk from the teaching unions about either cancelling or altering in some way the 2021 um, GCSE exams on the basis that we can't possibly expect this cohort of students to um, make up the lost ground so it's best if we just kind of stop this now and um, I think that's really damaging yeah, and I think okay. if one or two schools had closed we wouldn't be in that position Okay, right. Thanks, Joanne. David, what are you saying that you just want to reopen your school and just carry on as normal? Um, I, well, the point I'm trying to make is that's impossible, right? Uh, almost regardless of what I want, um, because I mean, we we do not work in isolation. Uh, our entire community is messed up by this. And so I, I talked to head teachers in, in, in the local area. Uh, they're obsessed with feeding people who haven't got food. They're obsessed with uh, the, da the damage that's being done now. Never mind the consequences of the economic collapse that's about to impinge itself upon us when we do come back. Uh, once they get rid of furlough, God knows what's going to happen. So actually what they're predicting is that people are going to flee the borough, right? Because there's, there's not going to be any work. We are at the beginning, not the end of, of the consequences of this. Mm. And, and the point is we're not even thinking it through about mm. what, what we're trying to do. So yes, of course I want to come back. I'm desperate to get the kids back, but all of them at the same time, not right. five meters apart, two meters apart, normally which in our school is very close together because it's quite a small school so and, and therefore we just get on with the job and in terms of education i think i'll just pick up on what Janet said it's like I, you can't blame this crisis for the collapse in belief of a knowledge-based education that was already there all this is doing is accelerating the, that collapse and and tearing it apart because it was already fragile right we are arguing flat out the opposite whilst we're in our online educational state. We're offering the subjects, we're offering the education. We're not giving up on the kids and we're fighting for their education. But I can't change what the exam boards are going to do, Ofqual and and, no. Ofsted and all no. the rest of it. No. And they're going to collapse. No yeah. question. They're going to let go. So we're in a moment where we might see the consequence of this, as in many other areas of society, is that the values we hold to in education are, are just ripped apart. And you can see people tearing it apart now, uh, the unions, etc., on the basis right. of some kind of health and safety crusade. Okay, thanks. So I think, I bet there's, a, well, there are a lot of people who want to come in now with things to say themselves. Um, now, I know that there's quite a number of you who are um, regulars in the Education Forum, but I'm not necessarily going to take the, the regulars' um, 
at, well, well, just have a, a, a trawl through. Um, okay, we've got Lauren Mitchell. Would Lauren like to put her question or make her contribution, please? It's actually Marcus with Lauren. Um, okay. I'd like to start by agreeing with Joanne and saying that we have to accept there is a degree of risk. It's not going to be less than 100%. And I agree with you that science can inform our thinking. However, the risk is currently unknown let's let this continue let a bit of the research and get a bit more data so that opening is a known risk frankly as far as i'm concerned this academic year is done i'd love to go back to school i miss it but let's accept this year is done the exams are all graded on a curve anyway so the effects will be elsewhere and let's invest like we're investing in propping up businesses in making really really good online education for the rest of this year we can't go back with safe social distancing. We don't know. They might be safe for the kids. It might be safe for some of the teachers, but we don't know who the kids might be bringing that uh, virus, the virus home to as asymptomatic carriers. As far as I'm concerned, just reopening now would be irresponsible because actually, whilst we don't have to do exactly because the, what the interpretation of the science is up for question, but we don't know what the science is. As a scientist, as a physics teacher, I say stay closed for a while. Okay, thank you. Um, shall we have a view from Australia? I think Gail Reid is in Australia. What would you like to tell, tell us about? Yes, well, um, about the social distancing, that was always the sticking point about um, getting our schools open again. It, the argument was, well, you can't social distance in a school. And, and that's true. I, you, don't, you can't social distance in a school. So thankfully, our, our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, made a public announcement about two weeks ago and said social distancing in classrooms is not required. Uh, there's no evidence that uh, the virus is passed on from um, children to teachers. Uh, teachers need to uh, do some distancing in the staff room. So we have our meetings via, um, you know, uh, we don't use Zoom, we use WebEx. Um, so um, we're back at school, it's all honky-dory, uh, kids are settled, teachers are happy. We've got about 75% of kids back at the moment. And this is our, um, we've only been back for uh, four days and we're expecting a lot more uh, in, the, in the coming weeks. So um, really happy to uh, be able to report that. Um, and about um, the principals, um, Joanna's point about principals having a say, well, our principals uh, work under the direction of the government. And if the government says, get back to school, open schools up, that's how it happens. And um, principals don't have a say, and I don't think they should have a say in uh, schools, um, whether or not schools should be open. I think um, the government makes a decision and uh, you know we, we uh, carry it out. Now with the independent schools, um, they are able to make uh, um, some decisions around school openings. But um, what happens is um, the government will might maybe uh, incentivize, incentivize them by saying, well, we'll give you some funding um, in, in advance. Um, yeah. Anyway, so um, that's it for me. Um, okay, thank you. Thanks, thanks Gail. Thanks. Um, can we come to Alka Siegel Cuthbert, please? Okay, thank you. <clears throat> Oh, thank you. You've unmuted me. Um, well, I've, um, I mean, I, I think I agree probably more with Dave, actually, overall on this, because I, I, I think, 
I mean, I think you're really right. The educational project was over well before this. And, and, it is, and, and although it is good to hear some from some quarters, the case is being made to open schools for educational reasons, which I know is what you're saying, Joe. but the, the, the majority of, of reasons that are being given are, is, is kind of bemoaning the fact that teachers aren't there to keep an eye on the uh, potentially abusive kid, you know, abused kids or, or to do their jobs as social workers. Um, so there, there's a mixture of different reasons, and I think probably it is quite important to reasons are important as well. So to push the educational ones would be good, but I don't. I, I'm not sure. I, I'm genuinely not quite sure. I'm much more. I mean, I, I don't feel hesitant about schools opening in one sense. You know, it's not so much the fear of um, the fear of contagion because I mean I agree with you know agree with the points you've made and that have been made widely that we don't. We don't know, the scientists don't know. So we have to decide, do we want to live our lives and our social lives according only when we know for certainty or when is the known risk, as John, I think, um, uh, said earlier. So, but, but what, um, what does worry me is that, this, as Dave said, that this is just not being thought through properly. I think it's being actually too politicised, really, at the moment. You think about what, if, you, if we start opening, but you leave it, if you say, Joanna, it sounds good to say, yes, the presumption should be all schools open, but then with individual choice. But what will that look like in practice? What will that mean for some schools, for some year 10s or year 12s, who some will be having exams, some will be having education, others won't? What, at the minute, you've got um, a cohort of people who haven't sat their A-levels, the grades are being worked out, but they've not heard yet from universities as to what that transition from you know what they're going to accept and whether you know people coming back to do resits how that's going to work out so and, and there'll be a group you know there could be a group of kids who don't have any exam experience at all if they miss out on their GCSEs so I think I mean to me it seems sensible to go for perhaps a, um, to say something like reopen in September but go flat out over summer to have all the different people involved the exam boards the universities and the schools and the politicians to work out something um, that, you know, or some possible options that can be more publicly discussed. Thank you, Alka. Um, okay, I'm gonna take a couple more and then I'll bring back uh, Joanna and David. Um, shall we have Ian next? Ian, are you there? Yes, yes, thank you. Um, uh, uh, thanks to the speakers. Um, I can't believe you're not showing me your bookshelves tonight. Um, on, on the <laughs> point about courage, um, that was in Joanna's original headline that teachers should show courage. Um, and a lot of the comments on Twitter said, well, um, it's not about courage because it's really about whether uh, the, the government have, have closed the schools, whether they open them up or not. Um, but I started to get into conversations with teachers on Twitter about this and particularly um, NEU representatives and just simply asked, okay, so if the government said you're going back to school and the scientists said it's time to open the schools, would you back that? And they said, well, no, only if it's safe, only if it's safe. So actually it's a bit disingenuous to claim that um, if, if, if the, the government say, oh yes, we're opening them up again, that, that it's not about that in the first place. Um, I, I think one of the big sticking points here will be the unions. I think they're going to fight this um, and I think they're going to fight it on the grounds of safety of their employees. And coming back to the article, it did point out that so many other um, workers around the country 
bus drivers, just for one example, um, ha have gone through the, the, you know, they've been at work um, and they have taken that risk, if you like. Maybe they didn't want to, but they've done it. Um, and I think that's something that teachers should maybe think about as well, that, that should we be trying to, to, to match the attitude of other workers in the public sector and service sector and so on. Thank you. Good point. All right. Yeah, thank you. Um, Rick Moore. Rick Moore. Is it there, Rick? Uh, Hello? Yes, we can't hear you. Need unmuting. Um, Hello? Is that better? Yeah, yeah, you're fine. Okay. Right. Um, I mean, I've got kids that are at primary school, my wife works in the school, and I'm honestly in two minds about whether or not schools should go back. But one of the things I'm kind of keeping in, in mind with this is it's not just all about education. For the kids, they, earn, they learn an awful lot of life skills, interacting with the friends, with the teachers, um, that at home it just isn't the same to be able to generate. Um, so I think we need to keep in mind that the you know, kids do need that space to grow and to develop that they just can't get at home. Um, so I think overall, even though, like I say, I'm in two minds about it, I think really we do need to get the schools back open as soon as we can. Okay, thank you. Um, right, I'm going to come back to, um, I think, Dave first and then Joanna. But uh, we seem to have a lot of contributions here which are broadly speaking in favour of going back. But are there some issues that you'd like to, to pick up on there? Dave first, please. Um, I think the, the thing about courage is a, a really interesting one, actually, because um, I get exactly the point um, uh, as to why Joanna raised it and why it's been brought up in relation to this. Because I think the union's reaction to this, and it's not just in teachings across the board, is, is paralysing and using the idea of health and safety and risk and can we be sure that there is no risk? Well, no, you can't. That's it. Finish. End of discussion. So what are you going to do? And so it's not on the basis of risk that we resolve this. It's something else. Uh, and I think that, that's, that's really damaging. It's got people into a mess. But on, just on courage, I mean, when we, when we uh, went down, um, we immediately, before it was even asked, said, right, we're going to provide uh, some capacity for, for parents who've got kids and their, uh, their health workers and all the rest of it, uh, or, or they've got you know, kids they literally can't cope with at home. And we did that straight off. And, and we did it and we said, right, we can't force people to do it, just ask for volunteers. And we've never shut. Not since the, the whole thing started, we've never shut. We worked right through Easter. That's the holiday. You know, traditionally, teachers don't do anything during holidays. They just run off. Uh, well, that's what people think. No. They all volunteered, they, they kept it going, we're still going now and we will not shut. Bank holiday will be open because we're committed to looking after kids we've got and in the circumstances where we know that there was a risk, I don't think there is now, but there was a very strong risk and people did go down ill whilst they were doing that, but they took it. Uh, that, I think, has been huge for our staff. And I think, um, so there's not, there's not one answer to this. So when I say unions, I don't mean if you're unionised, you, you follow that along. You don't have to. You can think about it differently. But it's really difficult if 
major institutions like the unions are sort of arguing this in a destructive way and I think that needs to be called out. Okay, Joanna. So just to clarify, I'm absolutely under no illusions whatsoever that the project of education, um, that the promotion of knowledge um, was all kind of fine and dandy in the world prior to coronavirus. Um, it absolutely wasn't. And I think it's precisely because the project of education had been so uh, called into question, so degraded, that it was so easy to close schools en masse and to cancel GCSE exams and to cancel cancel A-level exams, you know, it appeared certainly to me as an outsider to these government processes that that was a decision that was taken in, in one afternoon after the pressure for lockdown became too much, well, we'll shut the schools. Um, I think it's also the, deg the degradation of education is also abundantly um, apparent in what Dave and Alka both said about how all the arguments for reopening schools seem to focus around welfare, uh, mental health problems, children with free school meals, children who are facing abuse, children who are witnessing um, domestic violence, etc, etc, and actually making an educational case for getting children back into the classroom. Uh, that's been few and far between. Um, but that, that's not a good reason for saying, well, we should have shut schools in the first place, or we should keep schools shut now until September because that's just kind of adding to the degradation it's just saying well we've not got any good reasons for, for keeping schools open so we'll, we'll just carry on and shut them I mean I think you, you do need to look at this from an educational perspective and um, I think you know I, I, I can't remember it, it wasn't Lauren but whoever sits alongside Lauren was saying you know that there's things that we don't know about coronavirus and that's certainly true um, but there are things we do know about it and we also do know some of the problems of not having children in school uh, we know for example I think pretty much everybody who I've spoken to and, and read on this says that no matter how brilliant the tech is no matter how whizzy the zoom lessons are no matter how rigid the um, Microsoft Teams timetable is no matter how much efforts put into online learning it can never replace the interaction of a teacher in the classroom you know it just it just can't and that's not in any way meant to denigrate the efforts that teachers have been putting in um, over the past few weeks and months you know this is just a fact if we want education to continue in a meaningful sense we need schools to reopen um, but I, I think the points that Rick was making are actually really important as well School, schools are social institutions they're social institutions with the main project of education and that does in that social institution comes discipline comes interaction comes learning about yourself from being alongside other people uh, just so that's why I think we can't open schools you know be pointless to open schools with social distancing in place but I think Dave and I are perhaps in agreement on that um, just on why I'm saying there should be a presumption of schools being open um, even if that means and I, I would see relatively few now um, schools needing to close but I think it, it means that you have to justify open uh, you have to justify closing your school rather than justify opening it and that the onus is then on on the school to the closure to be kept to a minimum I don't think closing all schools somehow promotes educational equality I mean if it does promote equality it's a lowest common denominator equality it seems to me that what we've got going on at the moment is the very opposite of educational um, equality we have more inequality in terms of access to 
lessons, you know, this has been very well highlighted, many of the inequalities that are really being exacerbated with the current system. And I think this will, the danger is this will continue if we're not careful. Um, you can see that some schools are already gearing up so that when there is an eventual return in September, uh, the main focus will be on mental health, um, encouraging children to learn about how to make friends again, as if that's something you can learn in theory in the classroom, um, teaching children how to interact with one another, whereas some schools will be saying, right, this is the curriculum, we better get on with it. So I don't think closing schools on the grounds of equality is, is a, a, a good argument. Okay, thank you, Joanna. Yeah, yeah, Dave, you can come back in. Um, yeah, both barrels there, Joanna. <laughs> I, I think there's a couple of points. Someone made the point in the chat. Um, just lauding private schools for giving uh, online lessons all day misses the point that if they don't do that, no one's going to pay the fees. Um, so mm. just be a bit careful. I think they're yeah. absolutely scared stiff that this is going to destroy them. Uh, like everybody else's society, this is having a really damaging effect on private schools. Um, so it's, it's, it's not what you think it is. But it doesn't uh, mean so they, to say they're not receiving lessons. I mean, we can question the motives. We can yeah, question they, why are they doing this. Hang but on, I mean, hang on, okay, hang on. Right, Let me speak, okay, Joanna, okay. Thank you. Right, so they're chucking work out by the bucket pool. I know because I've got a son at one. But that's, that's the way they're, they're justifying their fees which people right. have to pay okay. when they can't get into the school. Right, so that's yeah. one thing. All uh, right, point, point made, Dave. I want to bring some more people in. Um, okay. I've got a Jay Hussey here, please. Hello? Hi. Okay. Um, I just wanted to talk about um, the fact that I think it's a problem of leadership um, because I think... Um, uh, just on the points that other people have made, I do think the children's engagement is fading and will fade online. And I think that's a danger that we have to think about. I also, on the question of safety of staff, every year I've watched children go through flu jabs and the teachers don't get them free. Um, we have to go and pay for them at the doctors if we decide we're at risk. So it's the first time they've really worried about the teacher's health, which is interesting. But I think on the leadership question, I think there's three layers. I think there's the level of politics um, and political decisions should be made on the basis of um, judging the science and everything else that it, politics involves to um, run our society. I think the teachers, um, the, their leadership um, role is um, at the moment, they're seeing it very technically. Um, and so they're writing lists and checking social distancing, how they could do that, council assemblies, how we're going to do lunch. Um, whereas I think their responsibility is to think about the education um, and to think, well, you know, how are we going to get year 10 and year 12 ready for GCSEs and A-levels? How are we going to get the reception children transitioned into school? How are we going to transition year sixes into ready for year seven? Um, and then I think then there's a leadership, not a leadership issue, but an issue for parents because there's a responsibility there too. And I think the parents' responsibility is a moral one. Do I decide, okay, society has said it's time to go back to school. I'm going to go with that and take that risk. Or am I going to opt out individually, you know, in the way that, um, and I think all these strands have, have been going for a long time. Schools have become too safeguarding conscious. Politicians are too reactive. And parents are becoming quite individuated and deciding whether or not to um, have an injection, or, you know, and opting out of various things. And I think um, so everybody at the different layers has to take some responsibility. 
Thank you. Um, we've got James Leach. Is James there, please? Um, do I need to uh, uh, unmute myself? Yeah. Um, no, from my perspective, you can you hear me? Um, yeah. From my perspective, we're parents of two secondary age children. Um, looking at what's important here is in terms of if schools were to open, what would worry me? We're, we're very much of the you know, school of thought, excuse the pun, to that our kids should go back. Um, but, but the parent buy-in might be quite weak. Um, I think too much is made in the main, I think this is a, the fault of mainstream media and, and the government in terms of very much focusing people on the risks of COVID-19 alone, without talking more about the risks of resulting from the lockdown. So, um, so what I would say when we talk to our kids, we, we're going to say to them, you know, yes, fine, you, there, there is a risk of infection as there is with any other disease, but Alongside that, you've got the risks of, you know, mental health if students, children aren't having uh, physical contact with their friends. You've got the, the economic damage. Um, parents aren't able to go back to work because they have to look after their kids still. Um, there's all kinds of other um, um, things that will result as an impact or, or, of the lockdown itself. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I think then uh, the government and, and certainly a lot of the national papers and media need to make more of a case that is balanced, that actually outlines the risks, not only of COVID-19 infection and so forth, but also of lockdown itself. Thank you. Um, can we have Andrea Seaman now? Andrea? No, Andrea? Yes, right. Well, okay. I think um, certain issues um, have cropped up again, come up again, which have been dealt in the past with, I remember in 2008 when I was a school kid in Switzerland, the bird flu was current among uh, society and there was a great panic about it. And in the bird flu sort of feared epidemic, we did trust children in Switzerland to respect certain rules. So for example, our teacher refused to shake our hands and I remember this especially because I was the only one who ever insisted upon shaking his hand. And I got quite upset when he refused to shake my hand anymore. And uh, certain things were posted, you know, on walls uh, next to the washing basin where you washed your hands, how to wash your hands properly. So uh, in the past, we did not shut down schools uh, from fear of an epidemic. Instead, we were very uh, rationally based trying to trust children and teachers to negotiate a situation for themselves. And I think an important point to make is also that um, there could have been put measure, measures could have been put in place which protected both children and teachers. For example, teachers uh, as teachers should be in the front of the classroom away from the children teaching from the front uh, to the children who, who, who sit in front of the teacher. So that wouldn't have been too much of a problem. And I think perhaps, uh, I mean, in Switzerland now, you have a lot of children sitting at home uh, doing Zoom with their teachers or other certain Skype modules and things like that and worksheets and things like that. But the one resource which is opened up for children right now is time. And the problem with education before the coronavirus epidemic was that it wasn't too academic. So my suggestion would have been that in the time that children have now to spend on education, the teacher should have mandated a certain list of books 
which in the time which children have, they should be able to read. And then a test should be set on the books, which the teachers mandated. So I think we could have actually used this uh, coronavirus epidemic and the children uh, self-isolating at home in a positive way for education to actually increase standards and our demands uh, on the intellectual capacities of children. Thank you, Andrea. Um, can I come to Jenny Bristow now, please? Jenny, are you there? Um, yes, hi. Um, I've got a quick thing and then Emma's got a quick uh, thing as well. Um, it's really uh, tricky the, the, the kind of practicalities of it, I think it's, it's great to have teased out how sort of tricky they are. I mean, I suppose the way I've got to thinking about it is that I sort of don't, <laughs> I don't really care what happens in terms of, um, you know, the, the work that gets done when, when people go back to school now. I think what has really uh, bothered me is the moral and symbolic effect of not the closing schools just before Easter, which I think, you know, didn't agree with but there was a, a kind of reason for but it's a sort of it's like a very clear message is being given that it, it doesn't matter and I think that that kind of message is coming through to young people quite strongly that you know actually it's sort of less significant uh, they're at the bottom of the pecking order now in terms of you know what matters with them and their education and this sense of young people being kept away because you know society is scared of them and I, I think this it's almost like I want to make an argument for the school as the interface between adult society and the child world and to say that's what's missing and that's what you can never bring back through the more individuated online teaching and learning. And Emma, what did you want to say? Um, I just wanted to say like oh, the problem, the main, the main thing is that you can see and I can see that slowly the people are just like people are already just slowly fading like they can't escape from like their everyday lives and especially I'm in year 11 so we've had our like exams cancelled like we don't have any focus any drive and that's what's been taken away from us and like putting stuff online is not going to give us the drive anymore so even if people are getting set work which we're not really is they don't have any motivation to do it because they don't see the point because they just it was a rash decision that they just took away the purpose of our education really like out of our hands thank you all right um i'm just going to take one more and then i'll come back to um joanna and dave um have we got is noah noah keats there um, just a few uh, points from me. Uh, I wanted to know that if schools do uh, eventually reopen, um, do David and Joanna think that parents who might have underlying health um, issues, should they be sanctioned if they decide to keep their children at home because of the fear and the worry about um, the disease potentially being passed on to them outside the school gates? Um, I also wanted to know, just on a practical basis, whether there are any laws regarding a certain ratio of teaching staff um, to students uh, in schools. I don't know if that's the case. And if, if it is the case, then how would that um, affect going back if you had teachers that had uh, underlying health issues? Uh, and finally, how can schools mitigate for the inevitable inequalities that exist in terms of uh, access towards online learning uh, and whether children do or don't have spaces to work in their homes? Because clearly if um, children haven't been able to, you know, they haven't got the internet access, they're not going to be motivated to work. So what can schools do to sort of foster uh, an appreciation and a love for learning uh, when they do eventually reopen? Thank you very much. Okay, well, we've got quite a, quite a lot there. Um, 
one way or another. Dave, what's your response, please? Um, yeah, I, I, I think uh, the, the way that kids are taking this is um, you know, really uh, fascinating and, and sort of difficult. So I'm, I'm, I'm year 11, year 13, I hate to say this, but there's, there's nothing we can do now because the system has shut them out. Uh, if you're not aware of it, they're not allowed to do any work because that would be, in effect, cheating. Uh, to do with the way that the GCSE and A-level grades are going to be manufactured. Uh, so it's a really strange system. In, order, in other words, in order to protect the examination system because of what's happened, they can't have any relationship with the school, which is bizarre. So they're really lost um, uh, and, and don't know what to do. But I'm more worried, not and no disrespect to those kids, but I'm more worried with the ones who are one year off they have no vision on the future at all. They think it's all gone. I mean, I can't tell you the way they express it because it's very rude, but they think they haven't got a future. It's finished, okay? Uh, and it doesn't matter uh, what anyone says, that we have to rebuild that confidence with them that we mean it, and we do, but, my God, it's a hard, hard battle to, to, to win because uh, it looks like society is saying to them, well, you know, Either your GCSEs are going to be put off for a year, or we're going to get you into school when everybody else is out, so we can ram you through the exam system, because that's what matters, i.e. it's not you, it's the exam system, and you're just going to go through the machine. Their attitude to this, unless they're really well looked after, is going to be disastrous. It's a generation you know, switched off from education. So in that sense, I, I, I do agree with you. Pointing to. Can I, can um, I yeah. just start? Yeah, go on. Sorry, go on. carry on, carry on. I know. Uh, well, I was just going to ask you, Dave, um, about parents, really, yeah, and the extent to which, what's your take on the parents of, in, in kids in your school? And generally speaking, what sort of role do you think parents should be having in, in, in the decision making? Well, I mean, if you mean whether they should send their kids back or not, I mean, I'm, I'm never going to argue with them in, in terms of this, because, I mean, they have gone through hell and back trying to work out what's going on. And I think someone pointed out and scared rigid by uh, it, you know, the, the, the fact that nobody's really being clear about what the risks are and all the rest of it. They've got to work it out themselves. And, you know, their experiences are pretty horrific. But actually, they're really positive about everything we're doing, right? Um, they haven't uh, lost it for this um, uh, or walked away. They're really pleased that we're helping them. Uh, one, one reason is we keep their kids busy, but you know, because uh, that is a thing. Uh, but also they can see that we mean it with the education. In fact, and this is something I would like to say, I am not totally against online learning, right? Because actually it's allowed us to do things we haven't been able to do before and get actually a tighter understanding to some extent of what we're about. Is it replacing uh, teaching? No, of course not. Absolutely not. But we're not letting go of it when we come back. So for us, it's added something to us that we can do with kids. Uh, the one thing they say to us at the minute uh, for my school is, my God, can't you stop giving us work? It's more than we had when we were at school. <laughs> yeah. Right answer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Joanna, what would you like to come back on of those comments previously? So I think the point that uh, Dave makes there about the um, year 11s and the year 13s and teachers actually being 
forbidden, if you like, for want of a better word, for, for teaching uh, the, because of disturbing their kind of exam results um, or predicted grades that they'll get given at this stage. Um, I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to contradict you there for a second, Dave, but I think it just really illustrates the um, very... Uh, ruthless and horrible nature of what's gone on over the past few months and for me it illustrates absolutely 100% why schools should not have closed in the first place and it is this idea of sending out a message to a generation of young kids we've washed our hands of you not only have we washed our hands of you but we, we, we now give up on educating you essentially we don't see any point you're not doing the exam so there's no point in us carrying on bothering we, we, we want nothing to do with you in effect and I think that's a really hard lesson to give to 15 year olds and to 17 year olds um, like I said I think for me that's that really sums up why school shouldn't have closed um, but just to come back to some of the other points that people were making I think the point I think it was uh, Joe was saying about leadership and I think that's such an important point and particularly the point that she was making about how um, so many teachers um, and head teachers I'm sure not you Dave but other head teachers uh, see leadership in a very very technical way and again I think that's another example that comes across both whether education's being done online and in the home or whether it's being done in the classroom you see it becomes a real technical issue you know what platform are we going to use it's not the problem that Andrea raises which I really really wish people were talking about what 10 books would we really love all 13 year olds in the country to have read by September nobody's talking about that I really wish they were instead it's technical issues do people have internet access um, what platform can we use you know what how, what's the correct length for an uh, online lesson um, and exactly the same um, if it's a question of restarting schools you know people compiling intricate maps of a classroom to try and prove to the prove that they couldn't get more than four children in a classroom at one time if they all have to keep two meters radius around each other um, and I think you know that technical discussion again comes back to this degraded view of education I think perhaps what's coronavirus really brings to light partly it is just how degraded our view of education has become but it's also uh, how problematic our view of children is one of the things that's upset me most in the discussions that have gone on in the past few weeks is this idea that children become reduced to the status of virus spreaders you know they become this kind of ball of infection um, that's going to contaminate everyone they come into contact with and again you get this kind of technical idea that they are then a problem to be managed as a how do we manage these virus spreaders who are going to contaminate us um, and children become perceived as a, as a risk a risk and a problem to be managed and, uh, you know, I think that's a hugely, hugely um, dangerous way for us to be perceiving what's essentially going to be the next generation of, of young people in this country. Uh, just on the issue of, of parents keeping children at home, just very quickly on that. You know, I said it in my opening comments about the importance of judgment. And um, I, I would extend that to parents as well. You know, totally, if, if I was having chemotherapy at this point in time, I would be anxious about sending my child to school and I would probably make the decision not to, at least not until September or, you know, not until I had more evidence that it was safe. If I had a child who was suffering from leukemia or, you know, and had suffered from leukemia, you know, likewise, I'd be making these decisions. And I don't think parents should be penalized for making those decisions. But, and I can't remember, I think it was, this is the point that James was making. I think the problem at the moment is that we've had so much of a society-wide panic and, and fear 
about coronavirus and coronavirus in relation to children and this issue of children as virus spreaders, that it's not going to be the odd parent who's undergoing chemotherapy, the odd child who's had leukemia. You know, the danger is that we have large, much, much larger groups of parents and children because of this very, very heightened perception of risk that people are, are perhaps understandably um, perceiving making that judgment to keep their children away and and you know the problem is if, if you have so many teachers and so many parents and children deciding no we're not going to do this then it, you can't if you no matter what government says no matter what a head teacher might say the school can't function we need to have enough people prepared to show courage and take a risk and, and actually get back into school because they think it's worthwhile because this is something important that we want to do Okay, thank you very much. Um, can I come to Claire Fox now, please? Claire? Thanks. This is a, an excellent discussion, by the way, very thought-provoking. Um, I wanted to just say that I, I don't think um, this is like the bird flu. I think it's a proper pandemic, and I think it's understandable that extraordinary measures have been taken I'm not as much of a lockdown sceptic as maybe some people, and I, I understand why that happened. What really shocked me about schools, though, was that there was, despite a, a clamour for schools to close down, there was not actually a, a government decision to close down schools, even based on the science. But the clamour actually came from teachers themselves. And I can understand what Dave said about if the school was in a state of collapse or people were ill and the leadership team were all ill, that, that's one thing. But there was an absolute demand by teachers that they shouldn't have to be on the front line and they wanted to go down and I, I, they wanted to close the schools down. And so the irony there was, I actually thought that the schools would close down, but they didn't, nobody thought they should close down as early as they did in official circles or amongst scientists. No advice was suggesting that, but there was a demand from teachers that they closed down. And I thought that was nerve wracking because it, first of all, there's a lot of workers in this country who've had no choice but to carry on. I mean, we're rather I'm rather glad that health workers didn't have the same clamour and refused to go on the front line. I'm rather glad, as it happens, that the people who pick up the bins and the people who work in Tesco's also have not decided to down tools. Because I think in that sense, that kind of sense that we're public facing, how dare you demand that we carry on, has been exasperating. It's also the case that I was, I was actually aggrieved on Joanna's behalf, even though I might have not expressed all, I didn't necessarily agree with everything in her article, but the treatment of her was, how dare you criticize us teachers when we're sacrificing our health in order to carry on and we're hard done to. And it came over as a real victim mentality. And the reason I'm raising that is because it seemed to me that what was lost there was a sense of this being a, an important public service role. You know, this is public service, vocational. And we are constantly being told, by the way, I used to teach in further education, but we're constantly told by contemporary teachers that they are the most important people in the world. They are saving the whole of society, that they're solving the problem of social mobility, that they are key to every single thing that ever happens in society. And suddenly they think they're not that important and that actually that, that they should not have to risk anything. So in the, on the leadership point, I think that's really key. Uh, just very quickly that on Rick's point, which I thought was really excellent, um, when he said, 
uh, you know, I'm a great knowledge for its own sake, uh, I, I supporter of academic education, uh, the importance of that being the primary function of schooling and, and, and teaching. But there is more to schools than that. There is a socialisation process. And I think Rick was right to draw attention to what's being lost if teachers think that it's okay to subsidise, to substitute rather, online teaching with what is your life as a young person which is effectively going to school and learning how to be independent and live a life and critical thinkers that they just think that that's dispensable with for months and months on end on the basis of their own safety that seemed to me to be a terrible lesson of leadership and when emma spoke about what it feels like to be a year 11 or 12 sorry emma i can't remember student who just feels abandoned you know just with no purpose you know, I don't think it's going to be a mental health crisis, but if there's an existential crisis to be had, we are handing it to those young people by teachers themselves. So in that sense, not courage physically, but it does seem to me that teachers are not showing leadership. Now, of course, there's loads of teachers here, or loads of my mates are teachers, not all teachers, but the official teacher line and the teachers who in their thousands abused Joe for going against the norm, it struck me were not a good example of a brave profession, brave morally, not physically, uh, prepared to take a lead to young people to show what it might take uh, to be a you know a responsible citizen in contemporary society and don't get me wrong it's bloody scary out there this is not some minor little flea thing this is a major problem and i understand physical fear but it's just that you would want there to be something of a moral leadership that would at least indicate that they were prepared at some point to take the reins in their hands and give a lead and i think that's been missing thank you thanks claire um all right we've got to um, take Annette and then I've got a question that to ask on behalf of someone and then if um, Joan and Dave respond so Annette hello hello Annette can you hear me yes can right. hear you. Uh, um, just uh, Claire's points they were very interesting a view from Scotland um, first of all in response to what she said there the uh, one of my colleagues who was wanting to keep his school open uh, was told by John Swinney in Scotland that he was not allowed to have senior pupils in working. Um, so it was not uh, it was not that teachers weren't wanting to work. It came from the Scottish government, admittedly. Um, but the, the point really that I, I wanted to make uh, most was for the young people concerned. Now, I have recently retired after um, a long time teaching. I was continuing to do some supply teaching. Um, but speaking to the, the young people with whom I am still in contact, uh, mainly pupils who did debating and things like that with me, uh, they are really, really struggling um, at not being in school. They're, they're bright young people. They're finding life really difficult that they're not being able to be in schools and mixing with people. And equally, I'm aware at the other end of the scale, as somebody who's a year ahead, um, I'm aware that there will be a lot of, of young people who will be equivalent to, to year 11. Uh, my year group was, and they'll, they'll not be doing anything. Their, their parents will not be able to make them work. They won't want to work, and they will be getting further and further behind. And my last point, very quickly, was um, the lady in Australia that spoke seemed to suggest that it was possible to get children back to school without too much trauma. 
is there anything we can learn from there? Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, all right. Now I've got a, a question here for the two of you. Could you ask the two contributors how long they think teachers can be paid their salary if schools do stay closed, say until September? Um, all right. Well, that's a, a question for you both. Um, answer or not. Joanna. So, um, just briefly on that, I mean, I totally agree with the points that Claire was making around moral leadership. And I do think this is a really important point going forward because I think at some point, you know, who knows when, but at some point schools will reopen. At some point there will be a normality. And uh, I guess it's up to us, to every single one of us, whether this is going to be a new normal or the old normal or a better normal, um, what kind of world it is that we're going to live in in the future, what education is going to look like and what schools are going to look like. But I think the more um, teachers and all of us are kind of approaching the future with a moral courage with a determination, with a, an important kind of sense of priorities, with the goal of education, I would like to see being very high up that list of priorities, um, then I think the better it will be for young people and the more resilient they will be able to come out of this. I think the more when we return to schools, the more we um, give children the message that that was the most traumatic thing ever and they're never going to recover from this and, um, you know, teachers as well have kind of had a, a complete confidence crisis you know it kind of doesn't inspire children to face the future um, in a brave and resilient manner and I think it's it's really important that we do try to um, present to, to act as role models for, for young people as people with moral courage and the ability to exercise leadership ourselves and I think children will pick up on that spirit if we can show it ourselves um, Sorry, I can't. I can't really remember uh, the other questions about paid. I'm, I mean, I'm, that's. I don't. Not in my job description. I'm afraid to answer that question. I mean, how much? How deep are Rishi Sunak's pockets? I think we're finding out with every passing day that his pockets are deeper and deeper. I mean, three trillion. Um, we found out this morning are the size of Trump's pockets, and he seems to be able to just. There seems to be no no limit at the moment to the amount of money that can be printed. Uh, so yeah, who knows? Could go on for a long, long time. If it, I don't think money will be the number one object there I think uh, sorry one final thing on that though I do think and this is perhaps me being a little bit cheeky now and this is absolutely not directed at all teachers but directed at a few teachers who've had um, quite a great deal of contact with me to send me nasty messages I do think some teachers perhaps uh, need to remember where their pay packets do come from and I think you know ultimately teachers pay comes from taxpayers and school funding comes from taxpayers and if we do close down the economy entirely and we don't have people in work then ultimately there is less um, revenue going into the uh, government's finances and so for the next round of teacher pay rises for the next increase in school funding that money won't be there and I think the way some teachers again some teachers carry on if there is a kind of magic money tree where this is coming from and everyone can stay out of work forever and ever and ever and teachers will continue to take home salaries and be able to make the case for pay rises well unfortunately that's not the real world okay food for thought there Dave what have you got to say you shouldn't ask me about paying teachers because I'm in charge of the budget so I've got an excuse not to pay all right okay like, okay Okay, but uh, because we're, but the point is, the pressure on uh, us financially as a school and all schools is massive. 
Um, you, you just can't see it at the moment. But when, when, when we get past this into a position where people are going to tell us how much money schools are going to get, it's going to hurt like hell. Um, and, and, and if it didn't, uh, we wouldn't be living in the real world, would we? Because we've just lost a huge amount of income. And that's one end. And then the other end is that parents who won't have jobs very shortly because you know, a massive amount of people are going to find out their, their jobs are going to disappear very shortly when furlough finishes. But at least that's the way it looks. Uh, mm. And then, then what do we do? So it's not that way. It's just like we're, we're heading for a massive mess that we're all going to have to struggle through. Uh, and so to pretend that we shouldn't come back because we want absolutely certain that it's safe it's just nonsense. What is sure is it won't be safe because there won't be anything to be safe to go back to if we carry on this way. It's just crazy. So I just wanted to take up one thing that um, Joanne's been pushing quite hard uh, throughout this, and that's the fact that you know, if, if, we, if we do lockdown, we're necessarily going to mess up the education system. Um, I don't think that's necessary at all as it happens. I think that if we have to... Uh, you know, take a measure because we think that's the way to protect people in the short term. That does not mean that we have to mess up education, right? That they're two separate things. What you practically have to do doesn't tell you that your value system is put. The truth is the value system is gone anyway. And I think we agree on that. Mm -hmm. uh, and therefore it's not lockdown that causes that. It just it exposes it amazingly. Uh, but it exposes everything uh, in society at the moment in terms of our values. So what we need to do now, more than ever, is fight for education, for an education that's worth having. That's what we need to do. And, and, and that's what we do as a teacher, dealing with the kids online now, uh, and in terms of what we fight for in terms of when we come back and, and how we see education going. That's the discussion that this group can really take on board. And just just to very simple little things like uh, if I tell you what I've been doing in the last couple of weeks, I've been teaching Kant, Emmanuel Kant. I've been teaching Java code. I've been uh, doing Shakespeare. I've been doing obviously physics because that's my thing. GCSE astronomy. How many of you know any school that does that? Uh, I could go on, right? So, and we're doing that even though we're shut, formally shut, and we're not going to stop. That, if you do that way, then you're talking about a completely different situation. Why, why are we doing this and other people not? That's because we haven't won the battle of ideas about how we should view education. That's it. Win that, mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. We can get through this. Good point. Thanks, Dave. Um, can I bring in uh, Teach Smith now, please? Sorry. Um, yeah, so um, I have lots of things to say, but... Um, I just thought I would be positive. Um, I agree uh, for some reason that nationally there seems to be a movement of teachers to uh, stay within their homes um, and it's deeply disappoint disappointing to me as a secondary school English teacher. Um, I would love to get back um, and I'm just, I'm just going to present a case perhaps. Um, I would love for tomorrow um, the government to announce that uh, schools go back after May half term um, that would give schools a few weeks to prep teachers, prep parents. Um, I would like to think after May half term um, for teachers to say, we're here, come along if you can, um, to, to show up every day, teach our best lessons, 
and to encourage parents to bring their kids along and to gently nudge those who we think should be in school um, but are not um, and obviously to give uh, compassion to those who need to shield and to do that up to summer holidays and then in September everyone's in school everyone's back so that in those last six seven weeks we can build the culture back up again get people slowly coming back slowly realizing what a great thing school is now I understand I might be in the minority as a teacher um, having that view and I think it does link back to what, what they've said about the battle for education itself and it links into what someone else said about um, giving them some books to read if there was such a, a, an academic culture in this country then we wouldn't even need online teaching as such for a short period anyway we'd just say go read some books and talk to me about them you know and we could comment back and forth and it would if it became extended then we'd have to do something else but it just it links more to an academic culture I think so I just want to put it out there that there are teachers out there like myself who would love 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 to go back to school after May half term because I think we need time to get people used to the idea I'll turn up I'll be there I'll be ready to teach a Christmas carol you know to my attends and everything else but you're right that it speaks to a, a hollowing out of the profession that is the real issue. The hollowing out leads to technocratic decisions and the hollowing out leads to a lack of rigor on both sides. Um, and it's, it's sad. Thank you, thank you. Um, okay, can I bring in uh, Jenny Cunningham now, please? Jenny? Oh, can you hear me? Yes, yes. Okay. I meant to come in a bit bit earlier, so this might be a bit redundant, but but certainly um, just one point about parents. In in Scotland, it's it's a very middle class thing, I think, for parents to be worried about sending their children back to school. Certainly, most of the working class commentators and and people who who are doing work at the moment. Um, are frantic to get their children back to school and very well aware that they're falling behind seriously. Many, many schools in Scotland are not providing any kind of online or any kind of teaching anyway. But the, the, the point I wanted to come in on was the sort of question of leadership. I mean, as, as someone completely outside of education, um, wondering what avenues you have to challenge some of this risk business, quite apart from the educational issues, which I understand are, are vast. It's this whole risk thing, and, and it is disgusting the way the unions seem to be making that the key issue. I mean, there's a lot of information challenging the government scientists at the moment, particularly as far as children are concerned. And there's a very, very strong argument, in fact, that the more children are exposed to coronavirus, the more attenuated the virus is actually going to become. It's part of the whole idea of herd immunity, that viruses generally, particularly these big viruses, um, actually the wider they spread, the more attenuated they become, the less virulent they become. Um, and that's precisely why viral infections, even the most serious ones, um, do actually eventually come under control because fewer and fewer people are actually getting the more virulent form. 
So, I mean, there are plenty of arguments against risk. I'm just wondering, what are the avenues that, that teachers have um, to actually challenge some of those ideas just at, at the level of risk? Um, I know there's a much bigger fight to be had in terms of, um, you know, fighting for a decent education. Thank you, Jenny. That's really that's a really interesting contribution. Something sort of, as you said, from outside um, the education world, but um, some some important insights there. Um, I've got a few more people I'm going to take, and then I'm going to bring um, Joanna and Dave to make their final comments. Um, okay, so let's have uh, Connor McCrory next, please. Connor. Uh, yeah. Um... I'm a science teacher and a union rep in Hackney, um, the third worst affected borough in terms of per capita death rates. So just with, with two different hats on, with my union rep hat on, um, you know, there's a lot of union bashing, there's already a lot of teacher bashing, um, even though there are some teachers in the group. Um, our schools have not been closed. 70% of schools have been open in some form or another. I've been in every week on a voluntary rota with the support of my union. The union has supported voluntary rotors being in place to provide some form of, of education to the best of our ability for vulnerable students, students of key workers, etc. Um, so I, I, I've been in there every week since the, the shutdown. Now I supported the partial shutdown of schools, but I also, not being in a vulnerable group, not having dependents, not left living with vulnerable relatives, was one of the person who was willing to take that risk and go in every week on a voluntary rota to work with kids you know, in a suitable situation. So um, in terms of uh, this notion that teachers aren't brave, but transport workers and NHS workers are, um, in terms of the acceptance of physical risk, we, some of us have been going in. Um, in terms of transport workers, it took a dozen transport workers to die. And certainly in London, sorry. In London, it took a dozen transport workers to die. And, you know, fierce pushing from their union to get any safety measures put in place on, on buses. Bus, bus drivers were reporting that they were terrified to go into work. Now, they, know that, you know, they, they put some safety measures in place, but it took about three weeks into the sort of substantial change in society that we'd seen. In terms of the NHS, the NHS workers called for us to stay at home. NHS workers have just written an open letter saying that they are also extremely concerned about us going back to school. Their message was the way that we could take the stress off them and enable them to go to work at all would be to uh, uh, decrease the risk in a, a surge capacity. And that was by doing whatever we could to not have as much movement through society. So NHS workers actually called and supported teachers in, in staying at home where they could. Now, is, it, is it adequate in terms of providing an education? No, we're in very different times. And I share the concerns of Joanna and David in that respect. I, with my scientist hat on as a science teacher, um, what are we learning? I, I sort of welcome Marcus's comment early on. If, uh, you can shut me up in a minute if, if I'm working, if I'm going on too long. But I welcome Marcus's comment earlier. Every day, more and more research is coming in. And, and I accept what Joanna said. Science does not determine values. I utterly accept that some form of moral and political judgment and, uh, will have to be made in this case. But what are we finding? The German team just found that the viral loads of children are as high as any other group, albeit they do not display the same symptoms. Um, a, a team in China looking at a, a patient in a COVID ward found that uh, 
people in all age groups were susceptible to it. Again, less, less so in kids. Uh, other research, uh, research from France in, in February, which has just been published in a preprint, has found that um, in a cohort study, the viral loads in children were just as high as in adults. Again, they had less symptoms, but they have high viral loads. Uh, other research in the journal Pediatrics in the last two weeks has found that fecal shedding is, is an issue and that the virus particles were found in the feces of children. So this is something that we have to bear in mind when, when we consider these things. So yes, we don't know, it's not all settled, but the more research comes in, it does say that children are, first of all, they're susceptible, they do shed the virus, albeit in smaller amounts, but some of the concerns are that they make up for it in the amount of social contact that they make. And that, that's something that I think that's worth bearing in mind. I don't think that that's scary or hocus pocus. 32,000 people have died in the last two months, and that's with six weeks of extreme measures in place. What would it have been like if we didn't do it? I, I, I dread to think what that would have happened. Okay, sorry okay. For yeah, thank you, Connor. Thanks. Um, okay, can we have, um, uh, let me see, sorry, Richard Wolfenden next. Thank you. Um, if you saw on the news this, this evening, um, the airlines, uh, some of the airlines uh, who find it impossible to uh, socially uh, distance are just forcing it. Um, do we need to do that as schools? Does taking uh, moral leadership mean that we actually, as schools, on an individual school basis, have to say, right, we're making a decision, we will talk to our parents, uh, now is the right time for go back, to go back, if the government um, really, really uh, sort of hold back on this. Um, I really thought Emma's point was very, very interesting because I understand the educational deficit for the year 10s and year 12s. I'm a teacher at um, Dave School, at East London Science School. But I think the D11s and Year 13s are in such a difficult uh, situation, and and I think we should teach them. Um, their exams have gone away, and I've been teaching my Year 13s because they would have been at their peak right now, about to take their A levels. So I want to teach them. I want to see where they would have got to. I want to intellectually engage with them. You would have taken your exams now. What are you worth? I know I can't use that as evidence, but I want to know where they are at. So I think it's important that we, that, that we as teachers take some kind of leadership and we actually uh, uh, do teach uh, uh, the students. Last point, Claire's point's really interesting because I, I wasn't really aware of the teacher's involvement in calling for a, a, a school closures. I, I, I've been living in a COVID bubble. I didn't see that. I, I know what happened at our own school. I did go on to um, Twitter very briefly to look at the reaction to Joanna's article, and it was disgusting. It was absolutely disgusting. Teachers, English teachers, I'm an English teacher, that I respect, whose work I respect, were just being absolutely vile against Joanna's points. And I thought um, that's made me think about, you know, uh, the whole uh, role of teachers uh, in, in, in this uh, um, in, in, this, in this whole situation, so thank you. Okay, thanks. Um, we've got a few more and I'm gonna get everybody in and then bring the others back. And um, actually we probably, we are going over time, but um, we don't have any rent to pay and um, <laughs> Zoom is paid for, so we can just go over for a little bit. Um, okay, so can I now bring in Tony Gilland? Tony? Uh, hi, thanks. thanks very much, Shirley. Uh, and everybody's got a fantastic 
Dave made a very important point right at the very beginning uh, about social distancing within the schools being unworkable and quite a lot has been said about risk uh, and different perspectives on, on how to handle risk. If we think about the supermarket situation, it seems to be working quite smoothly, seems to be sort of handled quite well. But if we think about how unworkable that would be in a school, but also how it would encourage young people to internalise the risk even further. Mm. So I, I, I have a real fear about the, the social distancing. I think the, the government is very keen on that, is going to push that. And with the current climate, it, I, I can't see that that's not going to happen. Um, so I'm very keen to hear views on that social distancing. I personally would like to, I will argue against it as much as I can, because I think it's a, a major problem. But I have also heard uh, the other week the Welsh uh, First Minister make a point. It might be unworkable, it might be difficult, but perhaps we just have to do it to build confidence amongst teachers and parents. I can see that argument, but I'm not uh, keen on it. And I, I think social distancing is something that we need uh, to minimise in schools as much as possible. Thanks very much. Okay, can I now ask uh, Kevin Rooney, please? Two really, really quick things in a, a question. Just about, I think it was Emma, um, Jenny's daughter, about how she's lost her drive and her motivation because of the exam. I wonder, is that a problem with schools that we think the only motivation the kids have is to do the actual exam? And the pursuit of learning and the exploration of knowledge for its sake is sort of like uh, almost around. Um, we've lost him again. All right, Alka, you can have the final word before we go back to Joanna and David. Joanna, Alka? Can you hear me? Yeah, can now. Can okay. now. All right, Th thank you. Um, God, I have these problems with my, with my lessons on, on Zoom every week. Um, I, I, it just seems to me, just from this, from listening to people and from my own experience, that, that I think every people are having quite differentiated experiences. Right? I don't think that clearly all teachers are acting or think the same way, um, and I don't think that all actually all pupils are feeling it in the devastating way that some are. Obviously, some years will have more feel it more acutely than others, but but others aren't. I've had I've had two messages from parents who are really really pleased that we're providing the lessons that we're doing and they're actually pleased with the technology because what it's allowing them to do is to get an insight into their what their children are like like all parents they don't you don't really know what your kids are like at school and when they see their children interacting with a teacher and they can see that their children are being able to engage in a conversation that they themselves don't have with their kids at school they're really, really pleased about it, right? Now, I'm not saying that this is, you know, I'm very much against the idea that it's going to take over teaching. But I suppose, you know, I just think we can be open to it. And I think probably, um, I mean, what there's been a hollowing out of education. And I think also teachers, the majority of us do not have a voice, a public voice. The unions don't speak for a lot of teachers. And I mean, Claire, you said really, you know, if it was the unions that were clamouring for schools to be shut down, well, the government didn't have to listen to them, did they? It was a kind of crisis of leadership all round at every level. And, and the government is the kind of top dog. So they could have eased, they could have said, we can't have this and gone about trying to 
find the reasons and arguments to try and persuade teachers why they should remain. That didn't happen. I just think let that go, right? I'm not interested in going back and beating teachers or anybody over what they did then. They did it then for whatever reasons. Now let's think about how, you know, what, we, what is the best way of getting out of this. And I take the point that Jenny made earlier, and I think Toby makes this as well, that education in a general has a symbolic role and it's very important in terms of um, socialising kids into the wider world and introducing them to sets of, not, you know, different sets of subjects. But it's not the only thing in kids' lives. And I'm a little bit worried that we're getting a kind of counter catastrophizing argument here. We saw that with exams, like all oh, the exams are beat, they're not having the exams. Oh my God, they've had their huge chance to prove themselves. Well, you know, they have other opportunities to prove themselves in school and outside of school too. Yes, it is a loss. I'm not trying to minimize that and I'm not anti-exams. But, you know, I would just hope that we could in the way that Andrea suggested and, you know, we can, um, maybe try you know this if the, if the system as it was can't continue under the pres you know under under what's happened whatever happens if we if we open in the way joe was suggesting that's fine i don't mind if schools open now or in may i'm still teaching now anyway and i'd do it in real life as well if i could but i do accept not all parents will want to bring let their kids in so then what are you going to do are you going to teach an exam syllabus well why can't we just say no let's just leave that and teach them what we want to teach them and and let teachers you know provide provide you know my, at my son's school they're not having lessons anymore he's not had his exams but their teachers are going about organizing lectures for them from oxford and harvard that they can that they can tune into and talking to them about it so um i just think you know yes it is a huge loss but i think the kind of the negative dissipation and the listlessness that i'm seeing in my own children isn't just coming from the loss of schools, it's coming from the loss of contact with their friends. That they can't go out to the pub and to the parks and that. So just don't, 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 just don't pin it all on schools as everybody always has done forever. It's, it's, it's wider than that. And there may be some opportunities if we, can, if we can get our act together to argue for it that could lead to something better. Interesting and very positive note for, to finish up from the participants and really sorry Toby and Kevin that um, we didn't get your, the full weight of your, your, your points there. Um, okay, uh, we started off with Joanna, didn't we, earlier? Yes, so let's, let's go back now to Dave for your final thoughts. We are overrunning quite a bit, Dave, so we perhaps should make them relatively concise. Thank you. Okay, Two things then, just quickly, the risk thing. Um, you know, how, how do you get a perspective on that? I think uh, uh, that was raised, you know, can teachers make sense of it? Yeah, you can, just uh, look at the numbers. Uh, it's not hard to find. If you look at the numbers, they're plummeting uh, day by day. Uh, we'll soon be down to very, very small numbers of deaths in hospitals. And in London, that plummeted faster than in other places. Uh, so I think, you know, it's fair to say that the crisis we faced a few weeks ago is now ending and, and that's that's where we are but there's no the response to it is not the same it's not at the same level so we're still saying you know the government's five points have we met them have we met them well some of them are manufactured like ppe you know that's their fault they couldn't find it uh, so how's that going to stop us carrying on so like you know in terms of the actual risk to individuals i think it's now at a stage where we can say it's much, much lower than it has been. 
and therefore we have to consider whether we can return to normal. Okay, and I, I've always said June the 1st was a reasonable date to do that, and I think it should still be there. But I'm getting the feeling that we're not going to get that, and we're going to get some mess, and therefore we'll be stuck. So that's one thing. The other thing is, um, do we blame it all on the government, Toby? Yeah, this is your one. Right, so um, I, I think that's a bit unfair, okay? Uh, and I don't care what you think of them uh, as a party, as individuals and all the rest of it. I actually think they dealt with a real crisis that any government would have to deal with in a, whatever way they, they, they've seen fit. They have tried to use the science, but I know a lot of people in this room who went on about science being the legitimate way to understand it, and they were wrong, because the science is not the legitimate way to understand it, and I agree entirely with Joanna on that point. And therefore, uh, you know, it becomes then, well, how do we do it? The problem is they've tied themselves into a situation where because they've based it on, you know, some kind of uh, assessment of safety, uh, uh, and, and, and based in that on social distancing as their mechanism, they're stuck and they're absolutely messed up themselves in terms of how the heck do they get out of it? Because I think they do want to get out of it, but they don't know how. Uh, and, and we're all in this mess. Uh, and so therefore, I think if we, uh, in whatever form we can, can make a contribution to removing this dilemma for everybody to get, get out of this mess, then we're helping. Uh, rather than just blaming uh, each other for who's the worst culprit in terms of it. Um, and I, I, I won't say anything, anything else about who, who I particularly think is getting it wrong, but, but I think we need to argue that we end it. And, uh, 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 and as I said before, social distancing just has to be got rid of as a, a way of understanding how we operate as a society. Thank you. Thanks very much. Joanna. I agree with an awful lot of what Dave said there, and I'm not going to repeat it just for the sake of it. Um, one thing I did want to come back on just very quickly was the point that Dave made earlier about his uh, lectures on Kant. They sound brilliant, Dave. I wish I could uh, listen in on them. Um, more to the point, I wish uh, my daughter could experience those lectures or teaching of that sort. She's not, you know, is the uh, long and the short of it. She, she, she's not getting anything like that at all. I think your students are incredibly lucky. You clearly have a very clear view of the importance of education and um, what you're aiming to achieve. And I, I think you're in a, a real minority in that regard. Um, I think the problem though, Dave, is the more and the better you make the, the case for education, which I agree 100% and kind of have said from the very beginning, you know, absolutely, that's what we need to be doing. We need to, we need to be making the case for education. But the more successfully you're making that case for education through online learning, the more it raises the further question uh, of what are schools for? then and i think actually we also need to be really grappling with this question now what are schools for because it seems to me that we've had lots of different answers thrown up to that question over the course of the past few weeks and essentially they boil down to welfare they're the providers of free school meals uh, they help children with mental health problems they offer a child minding service so parents can go to work and i think what's the onus is on us now not just to make the case for education which you're doing so valiantly dave but actually to make the case for schools 
as being intrinsic to this project of education and teaching face-to-face -face classroom teaching as being intrinsic to this project of education and I think if we can't justify schools in an educational sense then you know we've lost also the argument about the importance of education so I think that that's really something that we've got to keep an eye on um, very very finally then I think um, you know I, I agree that what seemed to be teachers clamoring for the lockdown was absolutely not representative of all teachers um, Twitter is not the nation and the voices that allowed us on Twitter thankfully are not the voices of the nation and we've had that lesson reinforced to us again again I mean you know if we believed Twitter we'd be remaining in the EU we'd have had a Labour government for the past 10 years you know Twitter doesn't speak for the nation um, unfortunately the voices of teachers on Twitter can appear to be the, the voice of teacher public opinion and that's just not the case but likewise I'd equally say um, at this point in time the voice of the teachers union lead the leaders of the teachers unions likewise don't seem it seems to me to be speaking for all teachers um, the teachers union leaders seem to be the ones who are most vehemently uh, pitching themselves against the science demanding safety becoming very belligerent about the not going back position and I think there needs to be a bit of a reckoning there maybe teachers have got the wrong leaders for their unions but I think the points that and I'm afraid I'm getting tired now so I can't remember who was just speaking maybe it was Alka and Toby as well um, about you know the government now appearing to be pitched into a battle against the teachers for wanting to open schools even if that's incorrect even if in actual fact a majority of teachers do and it certainly seems to me a majority of teachers do want to get back into the classroom because their voices are not heard loudest their voices are not the ones dominating Twitter their voices are not the ones being shouted about by the union leaders um, it might appear to the government that opening schools means being pitched headlong into a battle against teachers and I just think that's really unhelpful it's unhelpful for the government and it's unhelpful for teachers and I think just actually getting out of that silo that we seem to be entrenched in is has kind of got to be the first step towards even getting schools reopened in any meaningful sense at this stage thank you very much Joanna thank you Dave um, I think everybody um, you'll agree that's a lively and uh, very thought-provoking discussion was free but if you'd like to make a donation to do so um, on the Academy website um, which will be on one of the slides when we close down or you can just go to the mainstream the Academy website but, but first could you unmute us please Harley and we can give our two speakers around and ourselves around <laughs> Okay. Um, well, thanks everyone for joining in. I hope you'll join us again. And details of uh, upcoming Academy Ideas event on the forum website. Enjoy the rest of your evening and hope to see you all again. Thanks very much.